Hi there, my brother or sister. Welcome back, and here we are at day number 173. God's living and active word for us today will be found in 2 Samuel 23, our first reading in Psalm 119 and John chapter 3. Turning now to 2 Samuel 23. Yesterday we read David's long poem of praise for God giving him victory and deliverance from his enemies. 2 Samuel 23 David, son of Jesse, was the man whom God made great, whom the God of Jacob chose to be king, and who was the composer of beautiful songs for Israel. These are David's last words. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His message is on my lips. The God of Israel has spoken. The Protector of Israel said to me, The King who rules with justice, who rules in obedience to God, is like the sun shining on a cloudless dawn, the sun that makes the grass sparkle after rain. And that is how God will bless my descendants, because he has made an eternal covenant with me, an agreement that will not be broken, a promise that will not be changed. That is all I desire. That will be my victory, and God will surely bring it about. But godless people are like thorns that are thrown away. No one can touch them barehanded. You must use an iron tool or a spear. They will be burned completely. These are the names of David's famous soldiers. The first was Josheb Bashabeth from Takemon, who was the leader of the three. He fought with his spear against eight hundred men and killed them all in one battle. The second of the famous three was Eleazar, son of Dodo, of the clan of Aho. One day he and David challenged the Philistines who had gathered for battle. The Israelites fell back, but he stood his ground and fought the Philistines until his hand was so cramped that he could not let go of his sword. The Lord won a great victory that day. After it was over, the Israelites returned to where Eleazar was and stripped the armor from the dead. The third of the famous three was Shammah, son of Agay, from Harar. The Philistines had gathered at Lehi, where there was a field of peas. The Israelites fled from the Philistines, but Shammah stood his ground in the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. The Lord won a great victory that day. Near the beginning of harvest time, three of the thirty went down to Adullam cave where David was, while a band of Philistines was camping in Rephaim valley. At that time David was on a fortified hill, and a group of Philistines had occupied Bethlehem. David grew homesick and said, 
How I wish someone would bring me a drink of water from the well by the gate at Bethlehem. The three famous soldiers forced their way through the Philistine camp, drew some water from the well, and brought it back to David. But he would not drink it. Instead he poured it out as an offering to the Lord, and said, Lord, I could never drink this. It would be like drinking the blood of these men who risked their lives. So he refused to drink it. Those were the brave deeds of the three famous soldiers. Joab's brother, Abishai, their mother was Zeruiah, was the leader of the famous thirty. He fought with his spear against three hundred men and killed them, and became famous among the thirty. He was the most famous of the thirty and became their leader, but he was not as famous as the three. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada from Kabzael, was another famous soldier. He did many brave deeds, including killing two great Moabite warriors. He once went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He also killed an Egyptian, a huge man who was armed with a spear. Benaiah attacked him with his club, snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with it. Those were the brave deeds of Benaiah, who was one of the thirty. He was outstanding among them, but was not as famous as the three. David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Other members of the thirty included Asahel, Joab's brother, Elhanan, son of Dodo, from Bethlehem, Shammah and Elikah from Harod, Helez from Pelet, Ira, son of Ikesh, from Tekoa, Abiezer, from Anathoth, Mebunai, from Husha, Zalmon, from Aho, Maharai, from Netopha, Heleb, son of Baana, from Netopha, Etai, son of Rebai, from Gibeah, in Benjamin, Benaiah, from Pirathon, Hedai, from the valleys near Gaash, Abielbon, from Araba, Azmaveth, from Bahurim, Eliahba, from Shaalbon, the sons of Jashen, Jonathan, Shama, from Harar, Ahiam, son of Sharar, from Harar, Eliphelet, son of Ahasbai, from Maaka, Eliam, son of Ahithophel, from Gilo, Hezro, from Carmel, Paarai, from Arab, Egal, son of Nathan, from Zobah, Bani, from Gad, Zelek, from Ammon, Naharai, from Beeroth, Joab's armor-bearer, Ira and Gareb from Jatir, Uriah the Hittite. There are thirty-seven famous soldiers in all. We turn for the first time to Psalm 119. This psalm is famous for being the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is an acrostic psalm with a difference. In this psalm, every line of each stanza starts with the same letter of the alphabet, instead of every line with a different letter. 
The psalm has 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and this psalm has a clear theme. God's word, or a synonym for it, is mentioned in almost every verse. The Beginning of Psalm 119 Happy are those whose lives are faultless, who live according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who follow His commands, who obey Him with all their heart. They never do wrong, they walk in the Lord's ways. Lord, you have given us your laws and told us to obey them faithfully. How I hope that I shall be faithful in keeping your instructions. If I pay attention to all your commands, then I will not be put to shame. As I learn your righteous judgments, I will praise you with a pure heart. I will obey your laws. Never abandon me. How can young people keep their lives pure? By obeying your commands. With all my heart I try to serve you. Keep me from disobeying your commandments. I keep your law in my heart so that I will not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. O teach me your ways. I will repeat aloud all the laws you have given. I delight in following your commands more than in having great wealth. I study your instructions. I examine your teachings. I take pleasure in your laws. Your commands I will not forget. We turn now for the second time to John 3. One of the features of John's gospel is that he breaks in with commentary without warning. Because of the lack of quote marks in ancient Greek, there were no overt signs marking the end of Jesus' speech and John's comment, or at the end of the chapter, John the Baptist's speech and John's comment. I personally don't think that John 3.16 is Jesus' words about himself, but I think it was the start of John's explanation of Jesus' enigmatic words. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. We have read the story about that snake in Numbers 21. Imagine that all one had to do to be healed of a snake bite was to look at the bronze snake which Moses had put up on a pole. Do you think any of the people who were bitten refused to look up at that snake? Don't miss that the shape this cast would have been very much like the shape of a cross. John chapter 3 there was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, 
who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night he went to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. Jesus answered, I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Nicodemus asked, How can a grown man be born again? He certainly can't enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. Jesus replied, I am telling you the truth, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. Do not be surprised because I tell you that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? asked Nicodemus. Jesus answered, You are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this? I'm telling you the truth. We speak of what we know and report of what we have seen, yet none of you is willing to accept our message. You do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then when I tell you about the things of heaven? And no one has ever gone up to heaven except me, the Son of Man who came down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to be its judge, but to be its Savior. Those who believe in the Son are not judged, but those who do not believe have already been judged, because they have not believed in God's only Son. This is how the judgment works. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. Those who do evil things hate the light and will not come to the light, because they do not want their evil deeds to be revealed. But those who do what is true come to the light in order that the light may show that what they did was in obedience to God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the province of Judea, where he spent some time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Ainon, not far from Salim, 
because there was plenty of water in that place. People were going to him, and he was baptizing them. This was before John had been put in prison. Some of John's disciples began to argue with a Jew about the matter of ritual washing. So they went to John and told him, Teacher, you remember the man who was with you on the east side of the Jordan, the one you spoke about. Well, he's baptizing now, and everyone is going to him. John answered, No one can have anything unless God gives it. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. The bridegroom is the one to whom the bride belongs, but the bridegroom's friend, who stands by and listens, is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This is how my own happiness is made complete. He must become more important while I become less important. He who comes from above is greater than all. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly matters. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He tells what he has seen and heard, yet so few accept his message. But whoever accepts his message confirms by this that God is truthful. The one whom God has sent speaks God's words because God gives him the fullness of the Spirit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything in his power. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not have life, but will remain under God's judgment. Let me start us out in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for the incredible gift you have given us in your word. How can young people keep their lives pure? It's by knowing and obeying your commands, which are found in your word. Move us to follow the psalmist's example of putting your word in our hearts, memorizing it. In this way, Lord, you give us power to resist sin. And we agree in this example also when the psalmist said, I delight in following your commands more than in having great wealth. Heavenly Father, teach us how to be content with what we have on earth because we have every spiritual treasure in heaven through our unity with Christ Jesus. And John the Baptist said, No one can have anything unless you, O Lord, give it to them. So today, Lord, we confess, we don't need anything except Jesus. Jesus must become more important 
while we become less important. May that be our goal today, Lord. Jesus first. Hello there, welcome back, and it's my joy to share with you today the readings for day number 174, which are 2 Samuel 24, our second reading in Psalm 119, and our first reading in John 4. Let's enjoy God's transforming and powerful word today starting in 2 Samuel 24. Yesterday we heard David's final words and the listing of the 38 mighty warriors who loyally helped David in his victories. Note that Uriah the Hittite was so poignantly included at the end of the list. And this 24th chapter seems like a postscript. 2 Samuel 24 On another occasion, the Lord was angry with Israel, and he made David bring trouble on them. The Lord said to him, Go and count the people of Israel and Judah. So David gave orders to Joab, the commander of his army, Go with your officers through all the tribes of Israel from one end of the country to the other and count the people. I want to know how many there are. But Joab answered the king, Your majesty, may the Lord your God make the people of Israel a hundred times more numerous than they are now, and may you live to see him do it. But why does your majesty want to do this? But the king made Joab and his officers obey his order. They left his presence and went out to count the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and camped south of Aurora, the city in the middle of the valley, in the territory of Gad. From there they went north to Jazer and on to Gilead and to Kadesh in Hittite territory. Then they went to Dan, and from Dan they went west to Sidon. Then they went south to the fortified city of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and finally to Beersheba in the southern part of Judah. So after nine months and twenty days they returned to Jerusalem, having traveled through the whole country. They reported to the king the total number of men capable of military service, 800,000 in Israel and 500,000 in Judah. But after David had taken the census, his conscience began to hurt, and he said to the Lord, I have committed a terrible sin in doing this. Please forgive me. I have acted foolishly. The Lord said to Gad, David's prophet, Go and tell David that I am giving him three choices. I will do whichever he chooses. The next morning, after David had gotten up, Gad went to him, told him what the Lord had said, and asked, Which is it to be, three years of famine in your land, or three months of running away from your enemies, or three days of an epidemic in your land? 
Now think it over and tell me what answer to take back to the Lord. David answered, I am in a desperate situation, but I don't want to be punished by people. Let the Lord himself be the one to punish us, for he is merciful. So the Lord sent an epidemic on Israel, which lasted from that morning until the time that he had chosen. From one end of the country to the other, seventy thousand Israelites died. When the Lord's angel was about to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord changed his mind about punishing the people and said to the angel who was killing them, Stop! That's enough! The angel was by the threshing place of Araona, a Jebusite. David saw the angel who was killing the people and said to the Lord, I am the guilty one. I am the one who did wrong. What have these poor people done? You should punish me and my family. That same day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up to Araunah's threshing place and build an altar to the Lord. David obeyed the Lord's command and went as Gad had told him to. Araunah looked down and saw the king and his officials coming up to him. He threw himself on the ground in front of David and asked, Your Majesty, why are you here? David answered, To buy your threshing place and build an altar for the Lord in order to stop the epidemic. Take it, Your Majesty, Araunah said, and offer to the Lord whatever you wish. Here are these oxen to burn as an offering on the altar. Here are their yokes and the threshing boards to use as fuel. Araunah gave it all to the king and said to him, May the Lord your God accept your offering. But the king answered, No, I will pay you for it. I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. So he bought the threshing place and the oxen for fifty pieces of silver. Then he built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The Lord answered his prayer, and the epidemic in Israel was stopped. Let's return to Psalm 119, where we will start at verse 17. Yesterday's reading included two of the most famous verses from this psalm. Verse 9, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. And verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Those verses read from the NLT. Psalm 119, starting at verse 17. Be good to me, your servant, so that I may live and obey your teachings. Open my eyes so that I may see the wonderful truths in your law. I am here on earth for just a little while. Do not hide your commands from me. My heart aches with longing. I want to know your judgments at all times. You reprimand the proud. 
Cursed are those who disobey your commands. Free me from their insults and scorn, because I have kept your laws. The rulers meet and plot against me, but I will study your teachings. Your instructions give me pleasure. They are my advisors. I lie defeated in the dust. Revive me as you have promised. I confessed all I have done, and you answered me. Oh, teach me your ways. Help me to understand your laws, and I will meditate on your wonderful teachings. I am overcome by sorrow. Strengthen me as you have promised. Please keep me from going the wrong way, and in your goodness teach me your law. I have chosen to be obedient. I have paid attention to your judgments. I have followed your instructions, Lord. Please don't let me be put to shame. I will eagerly obey your commands, because you will give me more understanding. We turn for the first time to John 4. Yesterday in John 3, we heard the words of John the Baptist at what I consider his finest hour. That was where he said, He, Jesus, must grow greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is a worthy goal for all of us. The Beginning of John Chapter 4 the Pharisees heard that Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John. Actually, Jesus himself did not baptize anyone, only his disciples did. So when Jesus heard what was being said, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. On his way there, he had to go through Samaria. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sikar which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The woman answered, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. Jesus answered, If you only knew what God gives, and who I am who is asking you for a drink, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. You don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again, 
But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring, which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again, nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. You have been married to five men, and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. I see you are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, the time will come when people will not need to worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship, but we Jews know whom we worship, because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming and is already here, when by the power of God's Spirit people will worship the Father as He really is, offering Him the true worship that He wants. God is Spirit, and only by the power of His Spirit can people worship Him as He really is. I know the Messiah will come, and when He comes, He will tell us everything. Jesus answered, I am He, I who am talking with you. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we agree with the psalmist who prayed, Open my eyes so that I may see the wonderful truths in your law. Your word, O Lord, is full of precious truths, but we are so blinded by our worries about this life, the love for riches, and all other kinds of desires. We pray that none of these thorns would choke out the message you have for us every day in your word. Lord Jesus, today we ask you to give us abundantly from that living water you offer. This is living water that transforms us from within. It is spiritual water that completely satisfies so that we are not thirsty for the water of this world. Let it continually bubble up from within us, Lord. Let it overflow. May others see the difference in us. And it is water that gives eternal life. Thank you for your offer to give us this water even though we come with all our faults, like the Samaritan woman. But as we drink this living water, it leads to spiritual cleansing. 
Yes, Lord, we confess our sins to you today. Hi there, this is a good day for reading God's Word. Let's open our spiritual eyes and read the readings for day number 175, which are 1 Kings 1, our third reading in Psalm 119, and our second reading in John 4. So today we start 1 Kings. Like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles were originally each one book instead of two. The books of Kings and Chronicles have many similarities. One difference is that the books of Kings seem a bit more secular in their outlook, whereas Chronicles seems to have been written by a priest. Henrietta Mears says that both sets have these things in common. 1. They begin with King David and end with the King of Babylon. 2. They open with the building of the temple and end with the burning of the temple. 3. They open with David's first successor to the throne, Solomon, and end with David's last successor, Jehoiakim released from captivity by the king of Babylon. Mears also gives these three rather odd meta-messages in these books. I think they might be interesting to look for as we go through. 1. God does not show favoritism. 2. When our all is on the altar, God never keeps us waiting for the fire. And 3. The final captivity was because of disobedience to God. This was clearly prophesied long before. 1 Kings 1 King David was now a very old man, and although his servants covered him with blankets, he could not keep warm. So his officials said to him, Your Majesty, let us find a young woman to stay with you and take care of you. She will lie close to you and keep you warm. A search was made all over Israel for a beautiful young woman, and in Shunem they found such a woman named Abishag and brought her to the king. She was very beautiful and waited on the king and took care of him, but he did not have intercourse with her. Now that Absalom was dead, Adonijah, the son of David, and Hagith was the oldest surviving son. He was a very handsome man. David had never reprimanded him about anything, and he was ambitious to be king. He provided for himself chariots, horses, and an escort of fifty men. He talked with Joab, whose mother was Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they agreed to support his cause. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and David's bodyguards were not on Adonijah's side. One day Adonijah offered a sacrifice of sheep, 
bulls, and fattened calves at Snake Rock, near the spring of Enrogel. He invited the other sons of King David and the king's officials who were from Judah to come to this sacrificial feast, but he did not invite his half-brother Solomon, or Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the king's bodyguards. Then Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, Haven't you heard that Haggith's son, Adonijah, has made himself king? And King David doesn't know anything about it. If you want to save your life and the life of your son, Solomon, I would advise you to go at once to King David and ask him, Your Majesty, didn't you solemnly promise me that my son Solomon would succeed you as king? How is it then that Adonijah has become king? And Nathan added, Then while you are still talking with King David, I will come in and confirm your story. So Bathsheba went to see the king in his bedroom. He was very old, and Abishag, the young woman from Shunem, was taking care of him. Bathsheba bowed low before the king, and he asked, What do you want? Your majesty, you made a solemn promise in the name of the Lord your God that my son Solomon would be king after you. But Adonijah has already become king, and you don't know anything about it. He has offered a sacrifice of many bulls, sheep, and fattened calves, and he invited your sons, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of your army to the feast, but he did not invite your son Solomon. Your Majesty, all the people of Israel are looking to you to tell them who is to succeed you as king. If you don't, as soon as you are dead, my son Solomon and I will be treated as traitors. She was still speaking when Nathan arrived at the palace. The king was told that the prophet was there, and Nathan went in and bowed low before the king. Then he said, Your Majesty, have you announced that Adonijah would succeed you as king? This very day he has gone and offered a sacrifice of many bulls, sheep, and fattened calves. He invited all your sons, Joab the commander of your army, and Abiathar the priest, and right now they are feasting with him and shouting, Long live King Adonijah! But he did not invite me, sir, or Zadok the priest, or Benaiah, or Solomon. Did your majesty approve all this and not even tell your officials who is to succeed you as king? King David said, Ask Bathsheba to come back in. And she came and stood before him. Then he said to her, I promise you by the living Lord, who has rescued me from all my troubles, that today I will keep the promise I made to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, that your son Solomon would succeed me as king. Bathsheba bowed low and said, May my lord the king live forever. Then King David sent for Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah. When they came in, he said to them, 
Take my court officials with you. Have my son Solomon ride my own mule, and escort him to Gihon Spring, where Zadok and Nathan are to anoint him as king of Israel. Then blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon! Follow him back here when he comes to sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king, because he is the one I have chosen to be the ruler of Israel and Judah. It shall be done, answered Maniah, and may the Lord your God confirm it. As the Lord has been with your majesty, may he also be with Solomon and make his reign even more prosperous than yours. So Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah, and the royal bodyguards put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gihon Spring. Zadok took the container of olive oil which he had brought from the tent of the Lord's presence and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! Then they all followed him back, shouting for joy and playing flutes, making enough noise to shake the ground. As Adonijah and all his guests were finishing the feast, they heard the noise, and when Joab heard the trumpet, he asked, What's the meaning of all that noise in the city? Before he finished speaking, Jonathan, son of the priest Abiathar, arrived. Come on in, Adonijah said. You're a good man. You must be bringing good news. I'm afraid not, Jonathan answered. His Majesty King David has made Solomon king. He sent Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah, and the royal bodyguards to escort him. They had him ride on the king's mule, and Zadok and Nathan anointed him as king at Gihon Spring. Then they went into the city, shouting for joy, and the people are now in an uproar. That's the noise you just heard. Solomon is now the king. What is more, the court officials went in to pay their respects to his majesty King David and said, May your God make Solomon even more famous than you, and may Solomon's reign be even more prosperous than yours. Then King David bowed in worship on his bed and prayed, Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has today made one of my descendants succeed me as king, and has let me live to see it. Then Adonijah's guests were afraid, and they all got up and left, each going his own way. Adonijah, in great fear of Solomon, went to the tent of the Lord's presence and took hold of the corners of the altar. King Solomon was told that Adonijah was afraid of him and that he was holding on to the corners of the altar, and had said, First, I want King Solomon to swear to me that he will not have me put to death. Solomon replied, If he is loyal, not even a hair on his head will be touched. But if he is not, he will die. King Solomon then sent for Adonijah and had him brought down from the altar. Adonijah went to the king and bowed low before him, and the king said to him, You may go home.
Let's return to Psalm 119. God is telling us how important His Word is. A favorite verse from yesterday's reading is verse 18. Open my eyes so that I may see the wonderful truths in your law. Psalm 119, starting at verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your laws, and I will obey them at all times. Explain your law to me, and I will obey it. I will keep it with all my heart. Keep me obedient to your commandments, because in them I find happiness. Give me the desire to obey your laws, rather than to get rich. Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Be good to me, as you have promised. Keep your promise to me, your servant, the promise you make to those who obey you. Save me, please, from the insults I fear. How wonderful are your judgments! I want to obey your commands. Give me a new life, for you are righteous. Show me, please, how much you love me, Lord, and save me according to your promise. Then I can answer those who insult me, because I trust in your word. Enable me to speak the truth at all times, because my hope is in your judgments. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will live in perfect freedom because I try to obey your teachings. I will announce your commands to kings, and I will not be ashamed. I find pleasure in obeying your commands because I love them. I respect and love your commandments. I will meditate on your instructions. And now let's turn for the second time to John 4. When I have opportunities to pray a blessing over people in Indonesia, I often have prayed John 4:14 for them. Jesus said, Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And John 7 says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. John 4, starting at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah will come, and when he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus answered, I am he, I who am talking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, What do you want? Or asked him, 
Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went back to town, and said to the people there, Come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left town and went to Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples were begging Jesus, Teacher, have something to eat. But he answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples started asking among themselves, Could somebody have brought him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work he gave me to do. You have a saying, Four more months and then the harvest. But I tell you, take a good look at the fields. The crops are now ripe and ready to be harvested. The one who reaps the harvest is being paid and gathers the crops for eternal life. So the one who plants and the one who reaps will be glad together. For the saying is true, someone plants, someone else reaps. I have sent you to reap a harvest in a field where you did not work. Others worked there, and you profit from their work. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they begged him to stay with them, and Jesus stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his message, and they told the woman, We believe now not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he really is the Savior of the world. After spending two days there, Jesus left and went to Galilee, for he himself had said, Prophets are not respected in their own country. Yet surprisingly, when he arrived in Galilee, the people there welcomed him, because they had gone to the Passover festival in Jerusalem and had seen everything he had done during the festival. Then Jesus went back to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. A government official was there whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to go to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus said to him, None of you will ever believe unless you see miracles and wonders. Sir, replied the official, come with me before my child dies. Jesus said to him, You may go. Your son will live. The man believed Jesus' words and went. On his way home, his servants met him with the news. Your boy is going to live. He asked them what time it was when his son got better, and they answered, It was one o'clock yesterday afternoon when the fever left him. Then the father remembered that it was at that very hour when Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he and all his family believed. This was the second miracle that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee.
And now, let me again start us out in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to be more and more like you. Give us a hunger to obey God's will that exceeds our hunger for food. Give us a deep desire to finish the work you have for each of us to do. And like Psalm 119 said, Give us the desire to obey your laws rather than to get rich. Give us new life, Lord, from the stream of living water you pour into our hearts. And again, as the psalm said, Show each of us how much you love us and save us according to your promise. Not only that, Lord, but move in our hearts and open our eyes so that we will look at the fields and see that they are ripe for harvest. Encourage us by the realization that you pay top wages to those who work in the fields. You actually invite us to take profit. Lord, fill our hearts with the joyful vision that we will be glad together in rejoicing that will last for all time to come. 